This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome back to yet another episode of Green and White brought to you by Argyle Life. In the words of the sensational Barnet brothers, it's miles and miles and miles by the Greens. Never a truer word said than an 800-mile gruelling round trip to Thunderland to face the Black Cats, a journey that even the proclaimers would think twice about. Argyle's first half performance far outweighed their second as Ryan Hardy delayed lobbed chip Dink hot dog had Argyle jubilant uh, lead that we held through till half time. We couldn't, could we? Well, no. Back to back away wins weren't to be as Sunderland hit back thrice in 15 minutes. Pierre Equa's free kick eluded the non existent wall. Jack Clark added to his seasonal total with a lovely finish, and the game was finished up by Joe Bellingham's uncontested run through a half assed defensive effort. Joining me this week, to dissect the defeat is Joe Bell. How's things? Good, because uh, I'm the only one of this podcast that did not make the long journey to Sunderland. So I'm I'm the refreshed one, um, basically here just to agree with everything the two lads have said after watching the full match replay. Yeah, pretty much. I feel like there's going to be a lot of agreement on this one, isn't there, Sam? Graham, how's things? Yeah, all right. Uh, Eight-hour journey back via the M42 closure, which took us direct to the Coventry Building Society Stadium just as the match finished. So we were stuck for an hour around the stadium, which wasn't much fun after all that journey, but got back okay and firing on all cylinders, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, I suppose we had had similar uh, yesterday, Sam, in the fact that we left Tamworth and went north, which is not what you want. Not how you get back to Plymouth. Um, I've mentioned you a couple of times there already, Sam. Uh, last but not least, Sam down by the river where they used to build the boats. Yes, hello, good evening, everybody. We, uh, me and Aaron were on the same minibus going through the game, and I can confirm we did have a long and grueling day. I set my alarm to get up at one forty-five yesterday morning, and I hit my bed at pretty much bang on twenty-four hours later, one forty-five in the evening. So long, grueling day, but uh, refreshed. Had a nice long sleep. And uh, ready to go again. Not in the ground, unlike some. But uh, yeah, there we have it. Yeah. Dan, go on then. You were there. Give us your run through. You're keen. You're refreshed. Let's hear it. 
Yeah, um, obviously disappointing um, to, to lose the way we did. It was went down as a bit of a whimper in the second half. I think it just does show football in the game of two halves. If you cut that at the halfway point, we'd have all been saying it was a perfect away performance. Um, I think we defended brilliantly in the first half. We didn't allow Sunderland anything in terms of a clear chance at goal. Just organised when Foster talks in the media about closing the gaps, not giving them easy runs. We did that superbly first half and scored with a well-executed counter-attack. Whitaker bringing his assist total to seven with a lovely ball over the top for Ryan Hardy. It looked for all the world like he'd taken too long with it, but he hadn't. He was just picking the right moment for a lovely little dink over Patterson in goal. Um, and then he, we, we can't really not mention the halfway line effort where he spotted the keeper well off his line, tried an, a, a what would only have been a sensational lob from the halfway line pretty much that trickled agonisingly wide. That would have sent the roof off the away end if that one had gone in. But again, sadly not to be. Um, second half, we come out and um, I think it was a very poor second half performance, to be honest. Um, I suppose you've got to give some credit to Sunderland. They came out with a bit of a rocket up their backside. So I think Mick Beale must have given them a real um, set to at half time because they came out a different team. But equally, um, poor defensive um, mistakes for all three goals. I don't know what that war was about. Um, for the first, just completely disintegrated. I think um, uh, young Alfie Devine sort of comes charging out on his own, um, leaving a bit of a gap, which we then have to fill. Um, and I think Gibson and JB sort of between them disintegrate for it to go through them. Uh, I was going to say, Sam, I, I'm not sure we can solely uh, point out Alfie Devine in this. I'm sure Aaron will bring us on to it later, but I think there's more than one person to blame for the rule. The way it did. Well, I, I I went on to mention Gibson and JB. Don't worry, they they've not escaped it. Um, it just they just sort of disintegrated and it went right through them. Obviously, Hazard has no chance at that point. Maybe I would have liked to see him die for it anyway, but I don't think he would have got there. Um, the second goal um, was, was a very good goal by Jack Clark. No taking away from it, but I do think um, Barley Mumba gets a bit of twisted blood after on the last podcast having quite a long. Uh, speech in defence of Barley Mumba. I think I have to criticise where criticism's due. And he did get did get twisted and turned all over the shot for that second goal. Could have, could have just stacked, stood him up a bit better, showed him inside, allowed a bit more time for men to get back. But it was always tough. But I, I look, a great strike by Jack Clark shows what a talented player he is. And finally, the third goal... Um, Again, I'm afraid I don't want to have to pick on him too much. But again, I think JB could have done better for the third as well. I think he's maybe a little slow tracking back as Bellingham is making his run. He's sort of in the hole where he was. Sorry, he's not in the hole that Bellingham runs into. Um, so I think he could be doing a bit better. But then Phillips again just gets turned one way far too easily, leaving him Bellingham a very clear sight at goal. Um, credit where it's due, absolutely, but also criticism where it's due as well. And I think. Um, Foster will be disappointed at how we defended uh, for all three of those goals. I think none of them were were well-disciplined goals. All of them had sort of everyone sort of going off doing their own thing. We weren't keeping the spaces tight and close like we did in the first half. And it was a pretty a pretty dire second-half performance. Like you sort of want to see us have a bit of a go at 3-1 down, don't you? But we we didn't really at all. I don't, I don't think we had a, a single shot the whole half, apart from the disallowed goal, obviously. But... Um, in terms of an actual officially recognised effort, I don't think we had a single shot or second half. It was a pretty 
turgid performance. Um, very clearly, um, the Ian Foster era has still got more good than bad, but the sort of the, the downside maybe of having a playing style that is based around sitting deep, counter attacking, and catching a goal on the break is when it doesn't work. It's 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 not fun to watch, and I suppose at least with the with the sort of previous style of will score two, you know, you you'll score two, will score three, and sometimes it ends up being the other way around. Sometimes it ends up with them outscoring us, and on, on away days it far more frequently did. But um, it may, at least it was a, a bit a bit more fun to watch um, in, in games we did lose. I'm not saying that means Ian Foster is, is in any way not the right man, but it's you know pros and cons, and I, I guess that is one of the cons. It's that when it doesn't go well, it's not fun to watch. Um, yesterday wasn't certainly. Um, maybe I'm a little bit miserable still after having a 24-hour day for a pretty pretty turgid second-half performance, but we, we can do a lot better than that. We really, really can. Um, yes, they're a very good team. Losing itself, I can understand, but not the, the way we played that second half. That was not up to it um, for me at all, both defensively and in terms of our lack of energy going forward. The one caveat I will give is that we did come off a gruelling, gruelling 120 minutes against Leeds. And I'm hopeful that, you know, that isn't the that isn't the way we'd normally play in that scenario. So look, definitely areas for improvement. Um, let's just hope that we respond to a loss well. And we've got three big home games coming up. We can just win one of those three. That'll keep us well on target for our points to gain what we need. So even if we draw all three of them, then then that would be obviously the same effect. So yeah, not not happy with it, but some positives to take. And despite my angry uh, full-time reaction, the Ian Foster era is still certainly off to a good start, but that's maybe an example of a game whereby it isn't so fun. Well, I don't think I'm going to be quite so despondent as, as Sam. Um, a very elevated view at uh, the Stadium of Light, which was quite unique and saw exactly how Ian Foster sets the team up and first half I would say that's one of the best away performances given the quality of the opposition and, and the size of the crowd that I've seen in a long time. Um, as Sam said all the gaps were filled Forshaw and um, Divine and uh, GRB went from side to side the wing backs tucked in or, or got very tight to their wide players and we played out neatly, tidily, and with great effect. And I thought, you know, we were well-deserved leaders at half-time. And it's a shame that Ryan Hardy's spectacular effort didn't go in, because if we were 2-0 up, I think we would have won the game. And the test was the, the, the stadium of light crowd were absolutely whisper quiet throughout that first half. There wasn't anything, and, and it was just... I mean, one of the things was we did give a number of free kicks away quite close to the edge of the box. And it, there was an inevitability that one of them was going to cause us a problem. What everyone forgets is how well defend, we defended all the others. But this one, um, he was never going to get it up and over. So the wall should not have broke, broken. And you only need one player to run at the ball, not three or four, which is what, what happened. And of course... I was literally right behind it and it just went through and it, it looked <clears throat> as bad as it actually was. So I think Ian Foster 
kept his counsel quite well, but I think he was really annoyed with that because that gave him an impetus which they didn't have. The crowd got behind him when you got 40-odd thousand behind you. That is a hell of a roar. And um, unfortunately, the Jack Clark goal, and, and I, I, I won't blame Barley Mumba because he there was a player that ran as a decoy on the outside and Barley went with him. And what we didn't do is close the gap and, and there was too much space and he bent it in. Very much like Morgan Whittaker has done several times this season. So, you know, that's applaud the quality of the goal. Um, yes, the defending could be slightly better. The third goal was more... Uh, of a defensive area where we didn't get tight in any situation. I think he went past four players, I think it was four or five, and bent it in, and that <laughs> that was game over. We were never going to come back, and I think fatigue crept in, and we, you know, he went three-five-two at the end with Ben Wayne up front with Ryan Hardy, but we never looked like getting back in it. Apart, um, we did score that. If if Morgan Whitaker hadn't touched the ball, it would have been a goal because um, he wouldn't have been in front of the keeper and he wouldn't have been interfering with play. Um, unfortunately, I think he just brushed his head. Um, that would have made it interesting if we'd scored that. But um, I thought at the end, fatigue fatigue took its toll. You know, um, the travelling up, the Leeds game, 120 minutes in tough conditions. And I think we, we you know, it was a loss. It was. I didn't expect us to win. I thought we might nick a draw. But um, as far as Ian Foster's going, don't forget he's had four away games as manager and only one at home. And if you remember the second half of the Cardiff game, we played really well. So if we can play the second half of Cardiff and the first half of Sunderland, then we we really could be on it. So I'm I'm a lot more optimistic and less critical than Sam. You can see what he's doing. It does require a lot of energy for the players so to fulfil that system. So we're going to have to do a lot of rotation, I think, in the next three home games. So, But we're at home. We're a different proposition and teams will set up differently against us. And <clears throat> we can be on the front foot a lot more. And I'm quite hopeful perhaps a four-point return would be pretty good in the next three games. Yeah, I think you've done incredibly well i mean we make a joke of it that you've answered everything but i think actually between both of you, you you actually have um there's an awful lot of uh social media questions this week um sam which you would have seen as well having logged into the twitter um and, and you've managed to answer them too so thank you for that um incredible incredible um commitment to the cause uh going through um some full-time thoughts then uh let's start with I haven't selected any of these yet. So um, Adam Hegarty says, no question, just your players and supporters are a credit to your club. The replay clearly took it out of them and it took two moments of individual quality to get the win. Um, Jack says, um, next three games could be a struggle without the experienced heads of Edwards, Houghton and Forshaw. Uh, looks like we're back to forgetting how to play football in the second half and look unfit to do a full 90 minutes. Um Dave Searle says, we flew up. A few of the players went involved Tuesday. Seems like a typical Argyle performance. Um, Casey Bishop says, very happy with that first half. Very organised. Set up well and soaks up any pressure Sunderland put us under. Um, Hardy's goal was pure class. Second half, very tired and a poor di display. Very disappointing. Um, 
Jamie says, look tired. Also, are we hiring a fitness coach? No idea. Um, switching platforms now. Um, Sandra Hardy says, onwards and upwards. Wednesday, look tired. Second half, but go again. Plymouth, Argyle, great goal. Ryan. Mm. Commas. Um, Jay Holiday, what a shame. All of that hard work in the first half. And to leave 1-0 with a wonderful finish from Ryan Hardy, then to put in a poor second half performance and concede three goals, uh, not ideal. Um, switching platforms again. Steve Evans, I didn't watch the match, but could see why we were fatigued. Yes, a grueling defeat against Leeds. Um, but that was Wednesday and Argyle flew to the North East. Very disappointed with our negative defensive approach to this match. Um, Wolves Green, another 90 minutes where we chased shadows and hardly retained the ball for a significant period. Uh, a lot of people on Pasotti talking about um, fatigue. Um, let's finish up here. Kobe Budge says, yeah, fatigue was our main problem. Let's see how we respond against Coventry. Um, as I mentioned, Joe, I'm going to switch the running up order here to give you a chance to talk. Um, quite a few questions coming in. Um, less about the game itself, but more about where we are as a team under Foster at the moment. Um, I'll start with, this one is about the game, but I'm going to talk about the one from Jack Leslie, who says, in hindsight, would you have made changes at half time? I thought we looked all right first half, but it was inevitable that we'd get leggier and leggier as the half went on. The closing down for both the Clark and Joby goals were half baked. Would you make changes? Um, I wouldn't say it was inevitable. I think we all, no, we all had an inkling that there might be a drop off second half, but I don't think it was ever inevitable that we drop off because. Just assume that the preparation would have been right coming into the game. They'd have had the recovery um, and all of that. So um, I don't think it's an ever. I, I probably wouldn't have made changes. Look, we all, we all agree the first half, um, you know, obviously, as I say many times, watching it back, knowing what's happened is always a lot harder for me to then analyse than what it is for you guys who were there. But um, I think, you know, as mentioned earlier, a lot of praise has to go to that first half performance. Um, and and for me, the, the second half, although we did run out of steam quite dramatically come the end of the game, it swings on a seven-minute period. The match mm -hmm. just swings a seven-minute period. So I've got the times written down here. So Pierre Equa scores the free kick on 51 minutes and 11 seconds. Um, now, we've already talked about the wall, and Graham makes a very good point that they already had four or five free kicks. Um, in the first half, in very similar positions, not as close to the penalty box as this one. No point did the wall break on any of those other free kicks. So I'd like to know why it's broken in that situation, because I've just watched it back before we've come on to record. They're dead set that they're running out of that wall. There's absolutely no discussion that we're standing our ground. They are charging that free kick. So I don't know who it is who's made that decision. Um, and Foster alludes to it after the game that, Perhaps, you know, they didn't do what he'd wanted them to do. So that's the first incident. So the downfall starts on 51-11. 55-24 is, as Graham mentions, when Morgan Whitaker flicks in the header from a brilliant ball in from Adam Forshaw. Now, again, I've watched it back. Ryan Hardy makes the first contact on that delivery. Ryan Hardy's onside. Now, the problem you've got is Whitaker has already committed that he is going to try and get on the end of that ball. It's very difficult for him to then pull out of it. However, had he not committed the way he did, I'm not blaming Whitaker because he's a goal scorer, he wants to get on the end of everything, but had he not committed to it, 55 minutes would have been 2-1 up. 
straight about a minute after that, Adam Forshaw goes down with, with this knee injury or this muscle injury that he picked up, seemingly putting the ball in for um, the Whitaker cross. Um, so he goes down for treatment. He then comes off, he's then coming off the pitch, and at 57 52, Will Finney, the fourth official, has the board in the air showing that Forshaw's coming off and Randall's coming on. So at 57 52, the decision's made, Forshaw's off, Randall's on. It doesn't happen. And 30 seconds later, after a committee meeting, it's decided that Forshaw is going to go back on. But then, of course, we then have to wait 30 seconds to get him on. So instead of taking a minute out of the game and just throwing Randall on and having 11 men on the pitch, we then have to play 30 seconds with 10 men. Now, look, I'm not going to sit here and say that Adam Randall would have stopped Jack Clark scoring because it's on completely the opposite side of the pitch. And there's no way anyone was going to stop Jack Clark from finding the back of the net. Albeit, if it had hit the post in a different part of the panel, it would have flown out into into the field but Clark scores on 58-58 and that ends the chain of events so from being 1-0 up from the 51st minute to then almost getting yourself back in front again almost immediately after they scored in a space of three minutes the entire game has been turned upside down so whilst the downfall was always coming I you know I accept we I mean we went out like a light and you know I referred to it after the game last night i think it was probably what i expected to happen um that's not a criticism of how argyle will have prepared for this game or the absence of a fitness coach and things to ask them to go to the well again way they did on tuesday night was always going to be tough and the fact of the matter is we're going up against clubs in this division who have better resources who have bigger squads they have better squad depth we might have two players for every position bar, I think, one position on the pitch. But the fact of the matter is, a lot of these clubs have ready-made championship players who are backing up the positions that are already on the pitch. We don't have that. Now, we all accepted at the start of the season that we were going to come into it with a young squad who were going to make mistakes. Every game was going to be a lesson. They were taught a lesson yesterday afternoon. So, yes, we went out as a tired group. But at the end of the day... Um, Aaron's disappeared. I'll keep going. Um, the end of the day, it's it's just how it is. You know that we did run out of steam. We will have to recover. What they need really is a blank week. The problem is for the next fortnight they ain't getting one. Um, so look, I don't know whether they drove back last night or they flew back today or last night. However it is, they've got back. They're going to have to. You know, Fozzie's going to have to go into that meeting tomorrow into the analysis suite. Gonna have to sit them down. His first question is gonna show them the analysis, he's gonna show them where they went wrong. Presumably, he will have forensically analyzed that free kick, that first goal. Um, and then he will look up at that group and he will say to them, Right, who's got knocks and niggles? Who needs to go to the physio department? Those that have niggles will leave the room. The rest of them, he'll have to look them in the eye and say, Right, who's going to the bottom of the well again for me on Wednesday night? Because now, having watched Coventry today and how they play, we're going to need every single one of them to be on it again in midweek. So, um, whilst it's not easy, while it's relentless, this is why we got back into the championship, isn't it? And um, So, in a long-winded way of getting back to the original question, Aaron, no, I wouldn't have made change at halftime because it, 
nobody could have foreseen that seven minute period that turned the game on its head. Yeah, and just to say about Adam Forshaw, he was coming off and, and Ian Foster went up to him and said, are you coming off? And he said, no, I want to, you could say, I want, I want, I'm okay, I want to stay. And, and, and he stayed on. As an old pro, he would know whether he could carry on or not. And that was, that sort of delay had, had an impact on the game. I mean, judging by the injury, I don't think we're going to see him in the next three games. But um, it's a med median ligament injury, which doesn't sound brilliant, does it? So, uh, so we, whether Jordan Houghton's back from his rolling his ankle, I'm not sure. Um, but you, you, know, you mentioned about a fitness coach and that. What Ian Foster did say in one of the interviews after the Leeds game, players did 14 kilometres and more in that game. And the norm, the average is 11 for championship. So that shows you the level of additional effort, whereas of course Sutherland had a free week. And, and so, you know, we are pushing it to the limits. It's not a question of a fitness and conditioning coach. That's all, all that work's been done pre-season under Elliot Turner. So I don't think it's that. It's just a question of ticking over. I doubt very much whether they do much fitness training now because it's game, game and um, recover, game, recover, game, recover, and the tactical work. So, um, you know, being at home for three games, crowd behind them, I think, you know, that, that impetus will, will give us an advantage that we've just got to take. We've, we've got to get four points, I think. I mean, I'd settle for three, four would be nice. Any more than that, Brucey bonus, I would say. Two points on what Graham just said. Um, number one was about Warshaw coming back on um, and having the conversation with Foster. Two points I'd make on that is, number one, had the previous manager been in place with how he treated players who picked up these little niggles or not, wouldn't even have been a committee meeting about whether or not Forshaw was coming back on the pick. I would wager some of the King's money that Schumacher would have just pulled Forshaw off and said, I'm saving you for another day. Um, but but he, he never had a senior pro in that position to make that sort of judgment. That's the difference. Um, and the second point I'd make is, obviously, Forshaw's convinced Foster and convince the physio that he's fit enough to come back on. And, you know, chapeau to him if he's been able to do that. How long after he came back on, how long after the Jack Clark scored, was then Randall on anyway? That's the next thing. To yeah, look yeah. At. it was a short time, yeah. So it's, it's just, it just, as I say, it was it was one moment in a, in a seven-minute period that, in my opinion, just turned the game upside down. And whether, or, you know, we'd have probably run out of steam in the same fashion anyway. But if you're still trying to hold on to a 1-0 lead, you're you're then approaching next half hour totally differently as that as you are then trying to get back into the game losing 2-1. So yeah seven minutes. The ref got in our way at least four occasions where we were trying to play the ball or he blocked Morgan Whitaker's run. I mean that was I don't know what the hell he was doing. It never happened it never happened for Sunderland, but for us yeah, when we were moving the ball out, he got in the way. And I think he was a bit soft on the yellow cards. I mean, he gave them too early. And for 
I think we got, um, was it four in the first half or three or four in the first half? And Sunderland only had one all game. And yet they had 17,000. I think we had 13. So the ref didn't help us. I'm not blaming him, but it didn't help us. It broke the play every time he blew the whistle. He got in the way and we might have done done a bit better. But I'm just, just want to mention it because I've never seen a ref get in the way four times in the first half before. Yeah, I think we'll consider that ref watch done as well, Joe. Um, on that, we've got we've got quite a few to get through tonight. So, um... hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. I've coupled up some similar questions here to see if you share the same opinion. Uh, Chris Evans asks, big question for you boys to ask on the podcast. What's our identity? Director of football clearly stated, an attacking team progressive through the thirds. Is that what we are now? A back foot team relying on breakaways and set pieces What is what I see. Is the director of football doing his job? So that's a big question. And a couple that with... You've chosen to give that question to Sam Down. Of all the people on this panel, John Alsop is going to be in your DMs first thing tomorrow morning. You know exactly why I've done that, Joe. I'm going to come to you in a second. Don't you worry. You're going to get your counter-argument. Um, and I'm not even going to try and pronounce your at tag. Kuro... Karuak? I am going to try. I just did. Karuak 99. Let's go with that. That's most probably wrong. Do you think Foster's credentials as an outer profession coach? Outer um, profession? Oh. <laughs> I don't know about our goal looking tired and fatigued now, and I think someone else is today. <laughs> I'm having a shocker here. Do you think Foster's we- credentials as an out of possession coach mean? that he's taking the tactic side too literally. There you go, Sam. Do you remember the first question? Uh, <laughs> I don't know about like, a question. You give me about 18 questions there. Yeah. One, of, one of them worded three different ways. Okay. Um, there were, I think there were three main questions, I remember, which was, um, are we an attacking team on the front foot? Is, the, is the director of fo- Yeah, what's right entity? Is the director of football doing his job? And then is Ian Foster taking the out of possession side too seriously? Um, so to answer those questions in order, and then I'll maybe elaborate a little. Uh, are we still an attacking team on the front foot? No. I'm gonna give, I'm not gonna hedge it. No. It may well work. It may absolutely work in more games than obviously it didn't work over 90 minutes yesterday, but we are not any longer an attacking team we play on the front foot. I think that's fairly clear. Um in all the games under Foster. Cardiff a little bit of an exception, but even then the first half was kind of like it. It's been very much sit deep, soak up the pressure and wait for a goal on the counter-attack to happen and then defend the lead. 
Um, I know that Foster has, has said quotes along the lines of where a attacking team um, of promotion quality and a defensive team of relegation quality. So I think he's very clear in seeing he's come in and he's seen that as his duty to sharpen up the defence. And you know what, if the trade-off of that is being a bit less good going forward, I, I guess he just sees that as an acceptable trade-off. That may well be the case, and it may well prove that that is a more than acceptable trade-off. But I think at the moment, are we still an attacking team? No, I think we are very much a team who's kind of like, maybe like like Derek Adams in League One of the tactic of just sit deep, hit them on the counter-attack and sort of just get a get an unexpected 1-0 or 2-1 or win in, in a lot of games appears to be the, the primary tactic. Um, look, maybe over time as Foster develops as a coach and as... Um, you know, maybe over the summer we bring in more players. It might well be that we are, become a, you know, we do become a bit more high energy, a bit more high octane, uh, a bit more possession orientated. It may well just be that he's doing this as a necessity to stay up. So none of this is a foster moan fest. I want to make that quite clear, uh, absolutely clear. To answer the question directly, do we have an attacking identity anymore? I would say that identity has at very least been put on hold and possibly has been stopped. To answer the question, is Neil Dusip doing his job? Um, I think the one thing you cannot accuse Neil Dusip of is not doing enough work. Because I think he's doing about five jobs at the moment. Um, I think he's in the dugout. Well, I don't, I don't think he's in the dugout. I know he's in the dugout, but I, I, I don't know what I think about that. It seems a bit micromanaging. I could be wrong. Maybe it's at Ian Foster's request, but I, I think there needs to be a bit of a healthy distance between the director of football and the head coach. That was the one concern some people had about the Foster appointment is that he might be too much of a a slip vehicle rather than his own man. I'm not saying that at the moment, but I, I don't think Dusip should be in the dugout. I think there needs to be a healthy distance between director of football and head coach, in my opinion, but we'll see how that goes. Uh, and finally, um, is he taking the out-of-possession side too seriously? I mean... That's certainly not the wording I'd choose because football is just as important out of possession as in. I don't really think you can take it too seriously. Are we a bit more defensive than I'd like to see us be? Yes, I think I, I would say that. But um, obviously we got the win at Swansea, but that was thanks to, partly thanks to an incredible save from Connor Hazard and a late miss from Charlie Patino that he really should have done better with. That's not to say that invalidates our performance. I think it was a very good performance, but I think most unfair, you know, um, fair and unbiased, sorry, observers of that game would probably say a draw was a fair reflection than an Argyle win. Don't get me wrong, we were due for it to go our way because we've had so many go against us, but I'm a little cautious of getting too excited just yet. I, mean, I, I was asked on the previous podcast, after all this, do we now think Foster's an upgrade on Schumacher? And I sort of said, hang on, maybe he will be, but it's way too early to say that yet. Equally, now after we've had a couple of losses, um, you know, after extra time and then yesterday, it's also too early to be too critical of him. But I think it, it would be churlish to deny that pro or anti, he is very definitely changing the style of play quite substantially. It's not just the sort of small tweaks we saw um, across the Schumacher era. I think we've very much gone from being a team that was the counter-attacking team, was direct, but what, you know, we were never like Ipswich where they just you know have about... Uh, 20 or 30 passes leading up to a goal. So we always had a counter-attacking element to us. But I do think we've gone from a team that's very high, high octane, high tempo, high energy, to being a team that is a put men behind the ball, safety first, defence first, and try and get a counter-attacking goal. And I think that's quite a substantial change. Maybe it won't be a change that lasts too long, 
maybe it will tweak back over time. But at the moment, I'd say our, our identity is significantly changing, yes. On that, Joe, this is your chance for a retort. Same same questions, but, but a bit different. These are less different than the 10 I gave to Sam. Um, Jack Jones says, do you guys think our lack of possession and holding onto a ball is a bit more of a worry? Our possession off the ball has dropped off massively. I understand the opposition have been top class. Um I mean, some of them haven't. We have played um, Cardiff and Huddersfield. I wouldn't call them top class. Um, but would you like to see us take more care so us relax on the ball whilst um, instead of just going long? And then Zach Brown says, are you surprised by the fact that we, we've we got like under 40% possession under Foster on average? Right. So, yeah, I am going to... Um, Sam has served the ball over the net and I'm about to smash him back a forehand if I can. Um, as John Allsop has asked me to do. I'm now going off a tangent. So, right, I'll answer the second question first, Aaron, and then you can remind me of the first question. So, am I surprised that we've dropped to below 40% in average possession in the games that Foster has um, taken charge of? A little bit. A little bit. Um, I certainly don't think it was below 40% when we played Cardiff, was it? We got the 3-1 win. No, that was the that was the one game of his. Just sorry to interject, just with a an update on that. Um, that was the one game of his where we've had more than fifty percent possession, with I think fifty four or so for memory. Right. Okay. Um, I think. Look. Yeah. I think wasn't it something like eighty two percent in the second half on Tuesday night that Leeds had or something in the second half alone it was eighty two percent. Now look, half time I was stood in my. Around my seat in the upper Mayflower, um, and I thought to myself, "Look, there is going to be every likelihood we're going to be chasing shadows in the second half." Now, I didn't expect Leeds to have eighty-two percent of the ball. That there's a surprise to me. Um, does it surprise me? Yes, it does in a way. Equally, I go back to that first game that Ian Foster saw. That first game was against Sutton United in the FA Cup. He, t- you know, he put himself on the touchline to see it. He didn't want to be up in the be seats with a with a prawn sandwich. He wanted to be on the ground, getting to know the players and seeing it at ground level because you do see a game better at ground level, whether it's football, cricket, rugby, whatever it is. He saw his team go up against Sutton, and for a period of that game, bearing in mind Sutton a twenty third in League Two, he saw for a period of that game nothing between the two teams. Now he stood there looking at a new team he's inherited and thinking, hang on a minute, a team who are 23rd in League 2 without a manager are causing us problems. And there was a period, a 5-10 minute period in around where Sutton scored, looked like they might get a second. And that immediately, I think, might have rattled his cage a little bit and thought, hang on a minute, we need to do something about this. So yes, of course, we have conceded our attacking ethos, if you like. However, I'm we just want results. Football's a results business. I know that people pay their money. They want to go there and they want to enjoy 90 minutes of football. But I just want us to win. And if it means we only have 10% of the possession and it comes off in a strange body part in the 94th minute for a 1-0 win, I don't care. Um, I'm, you know, Sam mentioned it. The end goal this season is survival. We have 16 games now to ensure our survival. Now, personally, I think we're only about nine points off the mark that will probably keep us in the division out of 16 games. Let that sink in. 
nine points in 16 games. Essentially, what I believe is right, looking at the teams that are below us, we might only have to win three games. Now, I back Ian Foster to win three games, and whether or not we have more than 40% possession or not, I expect us to do that. So in that respect, I think he's come in, and his sole focus at the moment is to stop us conceding goals, which we were doing freely before he came into the football club. Now, up until Saturday, it had ceased. Yeah, all right, we'd only had one clean sheet, but we had stopped conceding chances as much as we did. Well, I saw a tweet today, whether or not it's true or not, that Sunderland still only had an XG of about one yesterday. People know my thoughts on XG. I think it's a load of poppycock. However, a lot of people now believe it to be a, a natural science in how football's played. Therefore, surely Foster's game, his MO is working because we heard before Foster came in, opposition XG against us was more than one. So we are making ourselves solid. We are making ourselves harder to beat. Um, so that's my answer to point uh, question number two. But you'll have to remind me, Aaron, of the first question. Was what do you think of the the, the lack of possession and holding and the, and the need to hold on to the ball a little bit more? Uh, our possession off the ball has dropped off massively. And I understand the opposition have been top class, uh, but would like to see us take a bit more care and relax on the ball instead of just going long. Yeah, I think that question might have been worded a little bit. Um, I think it need, maybe needed a bit of work. I don't think you can have possession when you're off the ball. Um, but I understand that it's more our in-play possession because we do concede possession quite a lot. Um, and we saw it at times yesterday. And I just think it's young players wanting to impress a vast number of people. You've got to remember these players have come in, the likes of JB, Vine, um, else has come in uh jb divine see even susa when he came on all these young players particularly the ones who are on loan phillips as well wasn't faultless in possession yesterday which is unlike him from what we've seen they're not just looking to impress and please the pe people and the staff of plymouth argo they're also trying to please their national team coach trying to please their parent club trying to please their parent academy there's a lot of people that are looking at these players performances so i just think that Perhaps they are trying to be too exuberant. Um, as I say, we a lot of misplaced passes yesterday, some really routine ones as well. Um, but this isn't just an Ian Foster thing. This is a trend that's been with us all season. Even under Schumacher early doors, we were conceding possession awfully poorly. Um, you know, simple crossfield passes we were putting out of play. So it's not a new thing. And I just put that down to a young squad. But I think we're going to have to get used to that because clearly the way that this football club's going, you mentioned to Sam about identity, the identity of this football club, certainly for the foreseeable future, is to bring in exciting young talent that are destined for the very top of the game. And we are going to be a very small step on their journey. And we are going to see some brilliant players come through our hands over the next couple of years, particularly with Ian Foster in charge. And they will, he said it himself, they will make mistakes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, hopefully. You've got to remember as well, right now in this period, I mentioned it um, in my piece beforehand, what Ian Foster really would love right now is a blank week where he could just get training session after training session after training session into these players and they can work on these things. But at the moment, he just hasn't got it. 
be in tomorrow analyzing they'll do a little bit of light work they'll do a proper session on tuesday then we play on wednesday thursday will be a recovery friday will be a bit of match focus on leads we play lunchtime sunday will be recovery little bit of match focus on to west brom game recovery bit of match focus on thursday travel friday to middlesbrough there isn't a lot of time for ian foster to really drum in a lot of this work into the team of out of possession in possession what can we do better what can we do less so at the end of this run of games when we get the other side of Middlesbrough and he gets a blank week before the Ipswich game and moving into March where the games are not as frequent I think we've only at the moment Sam might be able to tell me if I'm wrong we've only got one midweek game in March and that's Sheffield Wednesday I know Norwich at the end comes on the yeah Friday. yeah Norwich on good Friday but yeah in terms of an actual midweek i believe it is only that one yep so i actually think this is a really important period Ian foster that he's going to have a block of six games in quick succession where he can just game 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 at the end of middlesbrough he can sit them down and he can piece together one hell of a presentation from six games not just a small pool of fixtures this is six matches and he can say right we're doing this well we're doing this well we're doing this well for the next month this is what we're working on. We're not doing that right. We're not doing this right. We have to be better. We have to be more clever in and out of possession. I think we've seen signs that we are a lot better out of possession. But going back to the original point, yes, we do have to be better in possession. I'm not too worried about whether or not we can hold it up front because we're just going to get the ball into the channels and Hardy's going to run all day. Um, you know, I think if ever you wanted a bloke to come with you on a challenge to run from Land's End to John O'Groats. Hardy would probably be the one you'd want with him because he probably wouldn't stop for a break. Um the energy is unbelievable. So um it'll 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 change, but at the moment it's just a little bit tricky given the run of fixtures we're in. Yeah, we've got I'm gonna stop you before you jump in there, Graham. And I know I know that you're keen. We've got an awful lot to get through. Um, I feel like both sides were covered quite well. Sorry. Um, but I will give you this one, Graham. Um, MMR says, we've conceded four goals from that right-hand side in a similar manner in both cup games and the game today. It means yesterday. When the listeners listening to this, it means Saturday. Um, what do we need to do to counteract this, do you think? Is it Soranola time to start? You're on mute. He's Mr. Limpet. He really gets tight against players. And um, <clears throat> funny enough, I expected him to start. I do expect him to start Tuesday. He is, uh, you know, he closes the gaps. He's right on you. But I think on the right side, Morgan's got to do a bit more. He's fine going forward. But certainly yesterday, there's once or twice where he um, didn't perhaps get back as quickly as he could have get done into shape. And that puts GRB, he's got to move across to fill that gap. And that's where the gap started to open second half. They definitely focused on our right-hand side because Barley is, if, you know, he's a good player, but he would be the one I would target if I was an opposition manager because he's got a mistake in him or he's going to stumble, he slips. or Whereas uh, Soranolo is... I think a better defender from what I've seen. It's early days, but he's certainly energetic and, and right on you. And, and I would I would perhaps uh, give Barley a rest for a couple of games, bring him back on on the West Brom game. But I do think Soranola's got something to offer, and 
his energy, enthusiasm um, will help us on that right-hand side, for sure. Sam, you like um, multifaceted questions. Here you go again. Uh, these are semi... Uh, they're they're uh, juxtaposing, shall we say. Uh, look at me trying to pick up big words off the top of my head. That never goes well. Um, Dave Searle was asked, Mumba, is he defensively good enough for the championship and can he ever not fall over? That's question one or two. Jack says, why is everybody blaming Mumba? Second goal, he slipped and had no help. And the third goal was hardly his fault. There you go. Um, I think that there's a middle ground. There's a middle ground between, between thinking Mumba did nothing wrong at all yesterday and between thinking he's not good enough at all. And that's, that's where I am. As I mentioned on the previous pod, I think people are underrating him this season. Has he as yet fully lived up to the million pound price mark? Not quite, but let's not forget a million pounds in the championship is not that much in this day and age. I know it sounds crazy. We're, we're all used to the era of, you know, Premier League players going for a million. We, we, you know, some of us um, remember the era where we, if you were a million, you were a real superstar in football. But that's that's so far ago now. That is just what, if Mumba, if we're saying Mumba is a decent, you know, but not amazing championship player off his age, that is about what a million pound gets you. In the days where a million pound gets you a high-end championship player are gone. Oh, wait, they're not, because we did. <laughs> that was a complete fluke, you know? We did get a top-end championship player for a million pounds in Morgan Whitaker, but that was the rarity, not the norm. To get a player of that quality for a million is one of the biggest bargains I can think of in transfer history, but that's not the norm. What we've got for Bali Mumba is a decent championship player who hasn't quite had the season he would have wanted, has made some mistakes. Like I think he did make a mistake for the second goal. I don't think he's really getting away from that. Um, I know what I know what Graham said, but I think that's where JB can also do better because JB sort of comes in and picks up the man. And in truth, the only reason I didn't say that during my lowdown is is that I think obviously I'd, I'd already kind of picked on JB for the first and the third, so I didn't want to pick on him for the second as well. But in truth, I do think he can do better for all three. So look, I don't think I think Mumba does, Mumba does get twisted blood a bit. Even if we're saying he's right to go to the man, he does still slip when he gets to the man. Um, so yeah, it's a mistake. It's, a, it's not a howling mistake. It's a little mistake. But if we're saying Bali Mumba can't defend at all, he always falls over. I don't really think that's accurate. I think his his defensive work this season has broadly been pretty good. Certainly um, post Schumacher, I think obviously under the Schumacher. Um, set up, he was in a front three, so he didn't really have the chance to defend so much, but I do think he's defended pretty well under Dewsnip and Foster. Um, I just think that he, yeah, he, yeah, he had a little bit of a bad game yesterday, not a horrific game. First half, I thought he did well. Um, would I drop him for a couple of games? Yeah, I think I probably would, but that's not because he's suddenly a rubbish player. It's just because he's a player who's played a very large amount of minutes this season. We're going into a very tough period, and as Graham said, I like I like Soranola based on how he played against Leeds. Let's give him a little run for a game or two and see how he does. And always, you know, we can play Mumba on the left hand side because I'm sure sure as hell Mikel Miller's not going to play or play ninety minutes three games in a row. So yeah, mix it up a bit, but let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, um, Joe from Mumba to Hardy and Whitaker, Pilgrim PT who I assume isn't the actual official mascot of Plymouth Argyle Football Club, says uh, or asks, do you think there's too much pressure being on being put on Whitaker and Hardy to play well every game because of the fact that nobody else in this team can seemingly score in the league lately? 
I would like to think that both players will relish the pressure that's seemingly being put on them. Um, certainly haven't seen a drop-off of performance. Um, certainly not from Hardy. Um, as mentioned earlier, I'd, um, by Graham, 14 kilometres players averaged or whatever it was that they did on Tuesday night. Um, I'd love to see what number Ryan Hardy put in yesterday because he put in a lot of running. Um, try, just trying to get close to um, those Sunderland defenders and put them under pressure. I thought him and Luke O'Neill actually had a really good battle all day um, watching it back. I think there you've got two real hard-working professionals who just want to do their best. Um, yeah, okay, we've seen a little in the last couple of games. Um, perhaps Morgan hasn't been as influential as he as he had been beforehand but let's not forget he, he scored the goal at Swansea last week he had a wonderful volley tipped over the bar by Rushworth last week um you know it, it, people have very short memories and yeah all right the last two games hasn't been his best all season but right he's still the second top goal scorer in the championship so um he's doing pretty well under the pressure um as is Ryan Hardy so um yeah I I don't Whilst I think it would be nice to have other options, as I alluded to earlier, we're going up against clubs who have a lot better depth than we have. I think they're, they're both relishing their, their task and set to them. We'll get on to questions about relish in a minute. Graham, is there any danger that as a collective fan base that we're a little bit too quick to worry? Too quick to... Yeah, I, I mean, if you just take, um, I think the eight games that since uh, Shuey left, we got 10 points. That's more points per game than when he was here. So uh, Ian Foster's had four away games and one home game. And in that home game, the second half, I thought was one of our best halves of the whole season. And and Org as well. We've also got Bundu to come back, who is an explosive player. I just feel ready to make an impact if we can get him fit and functioning. So I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm happy in what I've seen. We, we've changed from 4-3-3 and for, with Shuey. I mean, Neil Jusnip and Nance changed it straight away. First game, went three at the back. And we've just pursued that slightly differently with um, instead of 3-5-2, we've gone 3-4-2-1. And, and we, five games under Ian Foster, two wins, two draws and a, and a defeat, which we, you know, we've discussed we could have done a bit better on so I, I think we're doing okay the next three games will tell us a lot more um we'll see how we go but I, you know teams don't like coming down the home park we forget all that you know it's it's a it's a hard ground to get a result i mean leeds couldn't beat us in 90 minutes with all the the quality that they had and we shouldn't forget that and they couldn't beat us in 90 minutes up at ellen road so we, we yes we're harder to beat and the, the lack of possession don't forget under Shuey we shuffled it around the back four quite a bit which would have distorted the possession stats now we don't do that with uh, Phillips and Gibson played up the line a lot more a lot quicker we're not fannying around as some people would call it at the back so much so that might distort the possession stats for me, the most important possession stat is how much we have in the opposition penalty area. And, and we'll see in the next three games how that materialises. I'm optimistic. I, you know, I, I like what I see. I like Ian Foster's intensity. 
I think it gives clarity to what he wants from the players. And one thing I do really like about him, he really appreciates the Green Army and the efforts they make. He always goes out of his way to say grateful thanks. And, and like Sam said, you know, the journey that some of us had up there, those that went up on the train, it took them 15 hours. They had four train changes because of various reasons. It's, you know, superb effort. He gets it, and, and I'm really pleased he gets it. And I think he gets the club. And I think he's going he's gonna to take us forward. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I would say on that is that we thought the last guy got it as well, but um, less about him. Less about him, the better, maybe. Um, a couple of a couple of quick fire questions to that, that are much lighter, and these might create a bit of a heated uh, debate, though. Uh, Argyle Memes has asked, "What do you what do the lads prefer on their bacon sandwiches, red or brown?" I'm a I'm a red man. I think I don't actually like bacon that much. Got to be red. I was going to yeah. Oh, this is a Danny Baker relic, isn't it? So uh, yeah, red for me. Go on, Joe. Be different. I don't eat bacon sandwiches, so next. Okay. And then uh, Jazzy B says, where do you keep your eggs and does it matter? Yes, it um, does <laughs> For reference of anyone who doesn't get this joke, it's what the Argyle TV interviewers ask every player when they arrive. They always ask them where they keep their eggs. Um, I keep them in the fridge. Who, who doesn't? I don't because I don't eat eggs. So. We're in our cupboard. Um, I keep mine in a specialist little metal chicken um, on the side. So not in the fridge or in the cupboard. Um, Didn't Sorinola say he kept him under the bed or somebody? Sousel or Sorinola said they kept him Yeah, under his bed. (laughs) Yeah, which is a bit bizarre. Right. Okay. That's nice. Um, Anything else that we need to cover from Sunderland before we move on to uh, a quick little bit of any other business? I just can I just make that point on Neil Jewsnip and his role in the dugout? Under yeah. Shuey, a few times I sat over in the Mayflower, very close to him, and he was permanently, and I mean permanently, on his little microphone to Mark Hughes, who ran across to Shuey. So Neil Jewsnip in the Shuey era was very much involved in game and was uh, you know, shape and organisation, all of that. All that's happened is he's gone from sitting a few seats behind to being in the dugout. And don't forget, with two coaches less, we haven't got a cabinet, we haven't got a Mark Hughes. So there is a bit more role for some guidance and help and different pair of eyes. It's a temporary situation. I know from what I've heard, Neil Jewsnick wants to get back to his day job because I think he's knackered apart from anything else. And uh, so it's a temporary situation which will resolve itself. But I don't think there's any <clears throat> anything should be read into it other than he's helping out in a temporary situation. But he's always in the past had a significant role in guidance from I was gonna say up above, but I think you know what I mean, sitting a few rows up behind the dugout under Shuey, and it's, he's just been the dugout under Ian Foster. I don't see any difference. Yeah, I suppose. Um, the, Fair enough. The biggest, the biggest thing in that is the fact that they had enough signal in the ground to actually make those calls and get the, <laughs> get the message down to the dugout. So I understand why he's gone to sit in. Go on, Joe. Yeah, I just want to touch on one more thing before you move it on to AOBs because I'm just a little bit mindful, um, more to the fact that if this topic isn't 
week, so I'm probably going to get it in the neck for my boss on Thursday when he returns to work. Um, do sort of think we need to give Sunderland a lot of praise, and I'm not sure whether or not we have done over the last hour, um, because that second half, there was a 20-minute period there where I look at it, and bar maybe Leicester on their day, maybe even... Leeds or Southampton, there aren't many teams in the championship who would have stopped Sunderland in that 20-minute period. I yeah, thought I they were, where they were absolutely outstanding. And it was noticeable that you read on social media and on various Sunderland news sites and things post-game that, that they all believe that was their best performance of the season. It just seems like we walked into football clubs that wanted to prove a point um, they were obviously highly emotionally charged with the, the horrible news about Mick Field's niece. Um, and I thought that was a lovely gesture on the, the fourth or fifth minute, whenever it was, when the, the ground rose to, to show him support. And it was visibly, he was visibly moved by that um, in, in, on the touchline and in all his interviews. So um, Sunderland were really motivated. I thought that second half, they were superb. And it, it was just a simple case of similar to what Leeds did on Tuesday night. They just moved the ball quicker. They stretched Argyle, they pulled us side to side, they got in behind us. Um, and unfortunately, those last two games, that appears to be a blueprint that's perhaps a little bit of our Achilles heel when teams really move the ball quickly. Um, but I just think we should touch on it quickly that I thought Sunderland were absolutely outstanding in the second half. As much as we contribute to our own downfall with the goals, um, two of the strikes are fantastic. Yes, they've come off the post and what have you, but. Um, you know, there was periods in that second half where they just completely blew us away as if it was, you know, they were light years ahead of us in the second half, um, not just on fitness and fatigue levels. Yeah, I mean, I have scrolled back up because I did actually write a question that says, before we discuss our own shortcomings on Saturday, how much credit do we give, if any, to Sunderland and Nicky Michael McBeal? So I'm glad I missed that one. Thanks for, you know, pulling me up on that, Joe. Um, any other business? It's quite a bit of business. Um, Morgan Whitaker has won the Skybet Championship Player of the Month award for January, whilst also, well, he did become the joint top goal scorer in the division. That has been form. sorry, not bad for somebody who's seemingly out of form if you read social media the last oh, 24 hours. Really, I think, I think if you wait, I might ask you a question about it, Joe. Um, but not now, not now that you've chipped in. Um, uh, reading from the PR on the club's website, Morgan said. I'm so happy to win this award. First of all, it was great January for the team. Stayed unbeaten, picked up some really important league points, yada, 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 yada. Um, for me personally, it went really well, scoring some important goals and helping the team. I am so happy at the moment, really enjoying my football and loving living and loving life in the Southwest. Um, obviously, uh, Ian Foster as well, named among the nominees um, for the championship. Manager of the month. I'm not sure how a head coach can win manager of the month. Um, some wording needs to rewording needs to go on there by the EFL. Um, and obviously Ryan Hardy is up for the PFA players of the whatever championship top man. Go, yeah, go and vote for him somewhere, wherever the link is. I think it's closed now anyway, so it doesn't matter. Um Sam, you know that basic question that I ask you every time. Um as we're truly running out of superlatives for Whitaker, I mean, some people aren't on uh, on Twitter. Um, just how much should, should every Argyle fan just enjoy him? 
There you go. Same question that I ask pretty much every week. You can have that one. Yeah, enormously. Even yesterday in a game that was not his best, he still had an absolutely lovely assist for Ryan Hardy over the top, finding him in a lot of space. Um, But it pretty much inch perfect for him. Uh, and, 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 you know, let, let's be honest, he's, he's still scored in something like, something like eight out of our last 11 games in all competitions or something absolutely barking mad like that or close to that anyway. Uh, yeah, um, enjoy him. You may not get the chance to after the summer. Absolutely fantastic, fantastic player. Um, people who say it's all just only about goals are barking up the wrong tree with how good that pass over the top was for Hardy yesterday. Um, yeah, I don't know what more I can say that I've not already said. Just absolutely love that he's still here and love watching him play. Um, Joe, this is the this this is the question that you've basically already answered. And because I gave the last one to Graham about our fan base, I'll give it to you. Last week, collectively as a fan base, we were talking about him as one of the best players ever to wear the shirt. And this week, he's lazy and not up to it. Uh, any danger? that as a collective fan base, we're a little flippant with our feedback? Uh, I think I mentioned this post-Leeds about Callum Wright um, negativity that, you know, football fans pay their money. They're more than entitled to their opinion. Um, You know, I do somewhat feel like we do have short memories because obviously last week he did score the goal that got us our first away win of the season. Um, So, yeah, look, people are entitled to their opinion. Um, nobody's opinion's right, nobody's opinion's wrong. Um, that's the beauty of football. Um, you know, there are ways to put it across. Obviously, we see at times a lot of negativity on social media that um, borderline abuse to, not at our club, thankfully, um, certainly not that I've seen for a long time, um, but you see it all the time at other clubs. Um, didn't we just see a national story where Patrick Bamford fans went to his house or something after he had a a miss penalty or something. Um, I can't imagine they were Patrick Bamford fans, but yeah, sure. Well, you never know. He might he might have at least one somewhere. Um, but yeah, look, it's um, you know people are entitled to their opinion, and you know they can express it in any way they like as long as it's um, done in the correct channels. Um, so look, if people thought he was lazy, then that's their opinion. I didn't think so because I think Whitaker does more than meets the eye. In the team, it was a tough perform. It was a tough game yesterday. Um, so just move on because there's every likelihood we get a brace that gets us a two 0 home win on Wednesday night. Then he won't be lazy. On the on that, I think um, it reminds me of that those Everton fans that left that banner for Rafa Benitez and said, uh, "Rafa Benitez, we know where you live," and they put it outside the wrong house. That's uh, <laughs> absolutely phenomenal. Um, I don't think there's anything else really apart from uh, Jason Punchin is the new manager of AEZ Zaka Zaka someone um, yeah in the, they're in the Cypriot top flight and they're currently 12th out of 14 so good luck to uh, Jason Punchin there I suppose what have we um, missed? You're, you're talking there about fans on social media and things and blating players and what have you and whether or not it's their right and things I do remember that last year Ryan Hardy took a few pelters and yes, I had to defend him profusely at times last season um, and yesterday he moved joint with Paul Mariner, the great Paul Mariner Nargo's goal-scoring chart but not bad for somebody who's not good enough. 
So just a little mention to Ryan, um, who I have defended enormously in this podcast, um, and I will continue to do so as I think. You know, we talk about Whitaker going down in the pantheon of Argyle legends and heroes and things. I think it's lost just how good a striker Ryan Hardy is in the history of Plymouth Argyle for his goal-scoring record. Um, maybe that's a conversation for another podcast when we're not 67 minutes in. Um, maybe we'll keep that for a special during an international weekend. Um, yeah, no, congratulations to Ryan. I'm sure there's many more to come and he will continue to climb the, the goal-scoring chart for his Argyle career start. Yeah, again, you've done my job for me. Appreciate that. I even wrote that tweet and it's been in my drafts for like two, three weeks, ready to go. Um, but yeah, I don't think there's anything else, is there? Anybody else want to pull me up on anything? No? Good. Yeah. I think we'll call that a day then. Um, remember to go and find us on all your podcast platforms, YouTube, if you're watching this. Make sure you click subscribe. Leave a comment. Like it. Do all that stuff. Um, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and everywhere else. Um, and we'll see you for another live post-Coventry. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.